0: Welcome to Raiders of the Lost podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss Alien and Aliens. Alien was directed by Ridley Scott, released in 1979. And Aliens was directed by James Cameron, released in 1986. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. We're finally doing Alien and Aliens, yeah, both amazing yeah. movies. We have a poster of Alien on the wall, but I think Alien for us is one of our favorite horror movies in general, sci-fi movies in general. Um, it is a horror film. Same thing with Jaws. People who don't think that Jaws is a horror film. It's or, Jaws in space. Or or people who don't think that space movies can be horror films. This is one of the best horror films ever made, in my opinion, and it's one of my favorite sci-fi films, too. Yeah, it's one. they're both a couple of my favorite movies, whereas Alien, I think, is one of the best horror movies. Aliens is absolutely one of the best just pure action movies because it's such an incredible action sequence time and time again throughout that film that James Cameron, he basically changed the genre of where the franchise could do, whereas Ridley Scott just wanted to scare the hell out of you. James Cameron expanded on it and made a whole new genre. Yeah. And It also has, Alien has I think the best tagline in movie poster history. No one can hear you scream in, in space. In space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, it's classic. It's great. It's cool because when it comes to like an original film and a sequel, of course we have examples like The Godfather, Godfather Part Two, Batman Begins, Dark Knight. There's a bunch of great examples of original and sequels and they're both equally impressive and great films. But this is a, a unique situation because it's different directors. Mm. So that I don't think there's another example like that that I can think of off the top of my head where there's different directors, different writers, uh, making a sequel that's just as good as the original. No, yeah, I can't think of uh, it being a different director for the sequel. But Maybe, I, obviously, Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. Okay, yeah, but those were made 30 years apart. So yeah. I think those kind of are an exception to the rule. And the thing with this is I believe if the rumors are true, Ridley Scott wasn't even asked to come back for the sequel by 20th Century Fox. And apparently after he watched Aliens, he was he li- he liked the movie, but he was disappointed that they never asked him to make a sequel uh, because the first one was so beloved and was b- pretty successful for what it was. And James Cameron was tapped to hire it. Uh, he wrote a spec script, sent it to 20th Century Fox, and they really liked his script. And then he got to Sigourney Weaver. She really liked the script, and that's how James Cameron got on board. Also, this movie, Aliens, was made seven years after Alien, and, and cinema was changing. You know, we had obviously those great films in the 1970s, and Alien is very artistic, it's very uh, gritty and dark. And not that the other isn't, not that Aliens But if you compare dark. it to modern movies. But yeah, but also the 80s was a time where those action movies were coming out. You know, it's it's very similar to First Blood and First Blood Part 2, which James Cameron and wrote the script for First Blood Part 2. So that's one of those sequels oh, really? that he's like iconically known for. And so if you take Rambo First Blood, it's a great movie. It's very dark. It's kind of depressing at times. It's, it's like a, a character study. And then you take Rambo First Blood Part Two. It's a straight action-adventure war film. Same thing with Alien and Aliens. I think it's a great comparison to make those films together. Yeah, the thing with James Cameron is he knows what audiences want, and he knows how to entertain. His movies are anything if not entertaining. And he, un- he understands what propels the story in terms of action. I think that you could argue he's probably the greatest director of action in history. I mean, you have... All the aliens, you have Terminators, you have True Lies, which is a super underrated action spy movie, and the Avatar has great action sequences. Who can in- forget Piranha 2? Yeah, Piranha 2, oh yeah, <laughs> his first movie. And then um, with Titanic, the action sequences are one of the some of the best ever, but with Piranha 2, he was actually an AD and assistant director on that movie, it's just some cheap Uh, Cheesy horror film Piranha 2 The Spawning Yeah The Spawning (laughs) It's the best one It's the best Piranha In my opinion But he was uh, The director of Piranha The Spawning Was fired And James Cameron Being the, the AD He was like Tasked like Hey we need you To finish this movie Can you finish directing it So that was his First directing gig And then after that he wrote Terminator, but before he got into filmmaking, James Cameron was a, tr- a truck driver. Was he really? Yeah, he was driving trucks for several years across the country. But he was also an illustrator, too. He's yeah, a great he, artist. Yeah, he's, he's a great artist, and he was always illustrating and making designs in his free time. So he always had the artistic um, need and desire to create art, but he was a, a truck driver. He worked a ton of odd jobs and then he just managed just from his sheer talent and creativity he managed to become a director and this is and this is really Sc- Alien was really Scott's second film so i th- it was both of their second films really and his first film was The Duelist which is actually a pretty good movie that stars Harvey Keitel Back in the it was like yeah. nineteen early nineteen. There's another great actor in it too. I can't remember, I can't who remember it is. off the top yeah. of my head. But uh, they both of their sophomore efforts basically into filmmaking. And that's a, that's a movie about these two guys who are rivals and they duel each other several times over like three decades. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, and um, it's it's hard to say which is be- a better film. I think Alien. It just, in terms of cinema wise, it's a better movie. But like, Aliens is just so much more fun. It's it's a war movie. That's what's so cool about it. it has all those classic cliches of like the arrogant soldiers and like the unqualified colonel or, or or leader who gets them all into danger and just tons of fun cliches as well as being scary. But the the horror element, I think, to Alien, I think, is what makes it superior. Yeah, the pacing is incredible, and ultimately, the Alien franchise, and this is why it never really worked outside of this trajectory in terms of, like, Alien vs. Predator and stuff. Alien, the Alien franchise needs Sigourney Weaver she is the franchise just as much as the alien is. And that's why when they did the spinoffs, they were not even close to the same. And that's what James Cameron understood because Fox was interested in making a whole new story without Sigourney, but he wrote the script for Sp- Sigourney Weaver playing Ripley as the lead and it being her entire, the entire plot revolves around her because he understood how much she, she brought to the first film and she she brought the humanity, she brought the heart, and she, brought, she handled the action really well. And I think you can't have, An alien movie without Sigourney Weaver and without the alien, and you could say she's probably the first female action movie star in the history of cinema. She is absolutely. I mean, you could maybe argue that um, Princess Leia is kind of an action hero in a way, but she's also the damsel in distress, the princess that has to get rescued by these knights in a way. So that still has that very those those cliche fairy tale tropes. But I think Ripley is like the first iconic action movie star who was a female, and it wasn't. In the first one it's at the end. In, in the second one she really through halfway through the movie she takes control and leadership and that's what was really changing for um that idea of that of the female character being able to she's the leader of these men of these marines now you know she's giving the orders and and in the third act of aliens I think it's one of the best third acts ever and when she goes down that elevator and she's going to save Newt and the elevator doors open up and the, the alarms are going off and there's smoke and lights flashing everywhere. And the elevators doors open up. And she's got like a flamethrower on one arm and a machine gun on the other arm. And it just it was Cameron does like a pushing on her. It's one of the most badass moments in movie history. And it was a woman. It was fantastic. So it flipped the stereotype yeah. on its head because, again, this is the Stallones and Schwarzenegger's. They're yeah. starting to rise. But here's Sigourney Reaver as maybe a bigger action star than all of them. Yeah. And she there's no movies. These movies don't work without her. And, and obviously, they don't work without the uh, xenomorph. Yeah. And so we're going to go one by one through these films, starting with Alien. But before we continue, The best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your family and friends and become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Patrons get perks like personalized videos, podcast schedules for upcoming episodes. Top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast, which we just did in our Prisoner of Azkaban episode. And the best perk of all is every patron, every single one, whether you're a $2, $5, $10 patron, has access to weekly bonus episodes of the show, which we're doing every Tuesday. We've done Dead Poets Society. We did our favorite TV shows of all time. What was the other one we just did? Princess Bride. Bride, so and we have another fun one coming to you soon. So, ch- oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah, we're gonna do a Philip Seymour Hoffman spotlight. So, that's an awesome perk for only patrons plus giveaways, too. And so, head on over to our website, Raiders of Lost Podcast.com, to check out all of our sources of content, our merch, our custom movie posters. You can become a patron there as well. Follow, subscribe wherever you're listening. If you're watching on, on YouTube, hit the notification bell and subscribe as well. Leaving five star reviews is also very helpful to the show. Now, before we get into each specific movie, I just want to talk about the aliens itself. Oh, yeah, yeah, First, because the creature design, we said this in an earlier podcast, I don't think that any other monster or alien creature design has been able to top the alien in Alien. The only one I can think of that's kind of close is Arrival. I think it's similar, but still, it has very similar elements yeah. to the xenomorphs and the facehuggers. Yeah, I just don't think anyone's been able to, like, the, the design of the creature, it's like, Predator was awesome, but, like, but... Xenomorph in, in this movie is just an unbelievably perfect design for a monster, and the the reason why this movie works so well is because it's, it's it could be the ultimate monster movie that this in Jaws, and the reason why this one is so cool and unique is because since it's set in space, the mo- the alien can have anything look like anything, so it gave the designers completely free reign to. Do whatever they want with the design of the creature because it's not an earth-based animal. So it can be anything and that's why it has acid for blood and that's why the shape of it it, it has this shape of its head and, and it has that tongue that has its own mouth and it's like they're able to just like go crazy and do whatever they wanted and that's why I think the freedom to create whatever they wanted is why it's so brilliant looking. Yeah, the Xenomorph and I think the facehugger as well was designed by H.R. Geiger, a Swiss painter. Really interesting artist. He developed basically all of the art for these films. And Carlo Rambaldi did the mechanical effects for the creature as well. I believe he designed the Matrix storyboards maybe, as well. Maybe. Um, but also the storyboards for the Matrix was done by a graphic artist. Oh, okay. I might be wrong. A then. comic book artist. But um, Carlo also is famous for doing E.T. extraterrestrial. So he's great with those mechanical effects for creatures. And the cool thing about the, I think, the xenomorphs, is in the facehugger in general is it adapts to whatever being or organism it host. places its embryo in. Yeah. Whatever its host is, it takes on the elements of it. That's why in Alien, it stands upright on two feet a lot of the time, whereas in Alien 3, I think, is the one where it's a four-legged creature because it, it, it's a, a bull or a, a dog, depending on which version you're watching of the movie. Yeah, they did. A, they tried the dog, but they deleted it from the film. So they had like a little tiny dog alien. And and uh, it's so crazy because Alien, the the Xenomorph is only on camera for less than four minutes. And it's an over two-hour movie. We get some time with the the facehugger, of course, and the eggs are incredible and creepy. But they kept it such a good secret. It wasn't in the trailer. No one knew at all what the Xenomorph was going to look like. Yeah, what the no Alien marketing. Was gonna look, yeah. And the poster is just the egg, like the, the one on the wall right here. That's just the poster. It's the, the egg that's about to open up. So audiences – had no idea what it was going to look like. It must have been such an amazing and also compelling experience to go to the cinema, go to see this movie. You have no idea what you're going to see and expect. And I think that the xenomorph is probably the the first alien that actually looked like a real living being on camera. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's got like it's it's got that moist quality to it, and it's sweating. Yeah, it it's always got oozing sweating. stuff. It's... They actually use X Y jelly. Uh, KY jelly. Yeah, yeah two eyes. Uh, sm- rubbed it all over the. Uh, and there was a stunt actor inside of a suit. And what happened was they didn't. Re- they didn't know how they were gonna f- do the actual body doubling of the alien. And and they wanted to use a stunt man, but they couldn't find anyone. Cause it when they tried everyone else, everyone out. It looked like it was just a person in a suit. But they found this guy. The casting director saw this guy in a bar, and he's seven foot one, and has super long arms and legs. And they asked him if he would like to perform as the alien in this movie, So they, and he agreed and they hired him. So he was able to – because he has such a lanky body and kind of unnatural for what the average human looks like, it made it, the alien look better in, in terms of the, the film itself. And then Ridley Scott, the way he filmed the alien, it's very much similar to Jaws where he shows bits and pieces. He, he re- doesn't really show the entire alien in its entirety until the very end of the film on the, on the ship. And then the, the opening shot, the first shot we see of the alien is just so genius when um, that the repair guy is in the that wet room. Engineer. Engineer. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Henry Dan Stanton, the actor. And the chains are hanging and there's water dripping. And then, But the way he reveals the alien is Henry Dan Stanton turns around and then you see the alien and it's super dark and it just stands up. And as it stands up, you see just how big it is. And Henry Dean Stanton just looks up. And just just how high he's looking just tells you how tall this creature is. So the way Scott filmed it was absolutely brilliant. Also, a clever way to film it to make it seem less humanoid because they couldn't really shoot it straight on too often because it clearly would look like a a human in a suit, kind of like in the air ducts when its arms are like, ah, I gotcha. Ah! (laughs) So what they did, it's a lot of profile shots. It's a lot of profile shots. It's a lot of... Uh, dark lighting, he's coming around corners, you just see very intense close-ups like the tail underneath the woman's legs and stuff like that. So it's it's a really clever way to disguise what it actually fully looks like to even make it even more terrifying. But they also designed the ship to have similar appearances to what the Xenomorph looks exactly. like. It's like all over the ship, especially when, when Ripley is moving through the ship, um, trying to escape, every wall has like these piping and these designs and it's like when you see a corner of a frame You're like oh is that the alien or is that the alien And you can't like they designed the ship on purpose With a similar aesthetic as The alien to throw us off and to always Keep us on edge during the sequences Yeah every wall every hallway Almost every room outside the living quarters yeah. It looks like the xenomorph's right there and, and it could be there at any second It's it's just a, a great way to keep The suspense throughout the whole film There's... So let's let's just stay on alien since we're on it yeah, yeah, And so alien came out in 1979 Directed by Ridley Scott written by Dan Obey Bannon story by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shushit. After a space merchant vessel receives an unknown transmission as a distress call, one of the crew is attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realize that its life cycle has merely just begun. This is on IMDb's top films list at number 52. It won Best Visual Effects at the Oscars. Rotten Tomatoes, 98%. IMDb is an 8.4. And like you said, iconic uh, line is... In space, no one can hear you scream for marketing. And it has a Metacritic score of 89%. I also have a couple of negative reviews from critics that it's I insane. wanted to I read for you all. I can't believe people gave this movie negative reviews. Okay, this, these are uh, this is an Alien review from Frank Rich Time Magazine. <laughs> it is depressing to watch an expensive, crafty movie that never soars beyond its cold desire to score the big bucks. Jeez Louise, yeah. man. Pretty, pretty good credit what card What year is that written in? That was the year it came out. My yeah. God. I'm sure he totally regrets that now. He oh, probably yeah. got yeah. Fi- I would fire that guy immediately. Time ma- uh, apparently, nobody reads your Time magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Zoolander. Fortunately for me, no one reads your Time magazine. <laughs> but Alien obviously changed the game. And what really Scott did was he, this was his response to Star Wars cuz he loved Star Wars and what George Lucas did was amazing and he's like I want to do something like that but I want to do something completely different that would you know change the game in terms of sci-fi filmmaking and sci-fi horror was a genre of that was very popular with readers like H.G. Wells authors like that and um and cre- great great stories written in the early uh, 20th century but in terms of filmmaking, horror sci fi was always like cheesy creature features from the 50s and 40s, like horrible, like bad B movies that you're just like so ridiculous. And so, guy in a rubber suit, yeah, like, exactly. You can tell. Yeah, so you can see the zipper, yeah, 100%. Where Ridley Scott, he wanted to be like, let's make a serious, great film about that horror sci-fi genre. And in a lot of ways, you can say that he catapulted this genre into becoming very popular. Yeah, and this was Sigourney Reaver's first movie role. She was actually a stage actress before this. And again, we said it's Ridley Scott's second film. Um, This could be the best sophomore film from a director ever. I mean, this or Pulp Fiction. Uh, Oh, yeah. They're just... Such incredible movies for for two guys that just like it's their second movie to make. And what I love about Alien is we actually watched it again for like the 15th time. Just to, I'm more like 30th time for me. And um, I was watching it and I realized Alien is Die Hard from the perspective <laughs> of the Xenomorph. He's he's John McClane. So I just want to point this out from his perspective. The xenomorph is stealthily traveling through the structure using air ducts and shafts, taking out bad guys one by one. And it's, it's literally, he's John McClane. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> no, instead of that, it's like. <sighs> <laughs> All right, who does the best alien? You go. Okay. <laughs> 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 the facial expressions are probably. Ridiculous. You guys can see this on YouTube. <laughs> What's cool about Sigourney Weaver was she was actually up for the part and so was Meryl Streep. Yeah, yeah, and they were actually friends at Yale University, so they came up acting together. Meryl Streep eventually didn't get the role because uh, Ridley Scott had all the the women working on the film and the production. They she had he had them all watch screen tests with them to check to help cast the lead actress, and they all said Sigourney Weaver was by far the best. Also, Meryl Streep was all was mourning the loss of her partner John Cazale because that was the same year that the same time that he died. Yeah. So I think that maybe it was too much for her at the time. Yeah, definitely. That, get, so she had to get over it That first. makes a lot of sense for sure. And again, what's so good about Alien is the suspense building. And so we've talked about it a lot of times with Alfred, Hitch- Alfred Hitchcock's uh, theory on suspense and how to build it in a film. And So the example where... Um, You're you're watching a scene with these people at dinner, and then all of a sudden a bomb goes off, and it's like, oh, that's crazy, but it's not that suspenseful, whereas if you tell the audience there's a bomb under the table, and then you're watching the scene play up with these people, all you can think about is when is that bomb going to go off, and that's how you build suspense, and that's what really Scott does so geniusly with this film is the first act of this film, you know something's gonna happen. You know something big's gonna come at some point. You don't know when, and it takes so long for us to even get to just the chest burster scene. But still, he's building up this intense suspense because something's going on. First, we get the signal that the people, which is why the people got woken up, because they have to investigate any kind of signal of any intelligent life potentially that they come across on their journey back. And also the the ship that's been crashed like what the hell is this giant ship we've never seen anything like this before and then the face hugger scene obviously and so we just know something bad's gonna happen he he builds that for literally like forty five minutes of slow tension yeah until John Hurt gets taken over by the egg by the face hugger and the design of this movie is one of its strengths because this is a sci-fi film set in the future where. You know everything's rugged and dirty, and seems like the ship is old as hell. But and, it's also analog, which is yeah, interesting, exactly because it, of the time. Yeah, but every, it's not they didn't make everything look clean, and I think Ridley Scott purposely wanted to make it look like you know help us relate to even though it's set in the future, it still feels like it. it, it you could be walking in this room in the modern in, in contemporary times. You know what I mean? I think they did a fabulous job with the production of the ship. And what's cool about the ship that's the the that's towing is eight hundred feet long. So their ship and then the ship that they are towing is supposed to be a mile and a half long. It's wild. It's just, that's how gigantic it is. And he did a great job with the miniatures in the opening of the, of the film. And it's so cool when they get down to that planet and you realize immediately that this is like an incredibly harsh environment. Nothing. What could survive down here? And then they come across that ship that's just crash landed and it's intense. And, and they get to it and they're, they just seem like ants on this giant log because it's the enormous and then when they find the the giant they're called, they're called space jockeys or those giant superior beings, you realize that how small and insignificant humans are in the universe because these beings are clearly not only way more advanced than human beings, but they're so much more evolved. They're like ten times the size of human beings and what well, two, just, twice the size. No, they're they're huge. Ten times that would be like a hundred feet tall. They look like <laughs> Sixty feet tall. Less than they're they're like they're like fifteen feet tall. Oh, right, you're right. You're right. Well, they look really big. You got excited. I get did get excited. It has to be at least three times this size. <laughs> well, what Ridley Scott did to make it the difference between their size even more noticeable is he had. Uh, children actors in the suits when they're near the space jockey to make the jockey look even more enormous so next time you watch that those are kids in suits very where you don't smart. see their faces very smart. but it's just such an interesting scene because again this is part of the building of the suspense the slow crawl of tensions like what are these beings who are they are we going to learn about them and also what wiped them out what could possibly have taken these superior massive intellectual beings out so easily because obviously something bad happened there the strip the ship's been destroyed things have been melted through the the surface of this metal and also these humans are so insignificant compared to them obviously they're going to get destroyed too yeah and we learned what happens with prometheus but but i have a little summary of one of the writers he said so at some point a cataclysm caused an extermination of the adult aliens of this race on this planet But the eggs survived in this nest, and so they laid dormant for however many years until the space jockeys, um, they came to this planet, and they're on a mission of exploration and archaeology. So they're exploring this planet, fascinated by this temple that they don't know who built, and then as they're exploring this temple, just like in this movie, one of the space jockeys finds the egg chamber, and he gets face-hugged. He gets rescued, they don't know what happened, and then they take him back to their ship. And as the space jockeys continue exploring this planet, obviously the the chestburster comes out of this space jockey and just kills everyone in a rampage. And that's what ended up killing the space jockeys in this movie before the uh, humans get there. So basically it's the same same plot. The so can you imagine involved. the alien, the xenomorph that came out of those giant beings must have been enormous yeah, too, which exactly. is terrifying. Yeah. But it's so interesting when they, when they stumble upon the egg, John Hurt's character, what's his name? It's upon the eggs. And just to just Hicks. To think, Hick, no, no. Hicks is um in the Aliens. Oh, Nash. Kane. 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 Yeah, Kane. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you're just throwing names out. <laughs> Steven. Ty- o- Tyler. O- Ollivander. <laughs> so um, it's so interesting to watch him discover these eggs, and you're just thinking, like, how long have these eggs been here? How long has this ship been here? How could they possibly survive for this extensive amount of times? And obviously something to do with, Either heat or motion has activated one of them. It's what it is—is warmth. Yeah. So when whenever a a warm body goes near one of the eggs, it opens up. It can sense the warmth, and then the the uh, face hugger inside wakes up. So that's why the face huggers don't like aren't always open. And when that egg opens up, my God, they did such a great job. It's all practical, and I love the shot uh, where Scott does a close up of the egg, and there's like a black moisture that's dripping upwards, like defying gravity. And it's such a brilliant thing. What they actually did was they just put the egg on a ceiling and filmed it with the camera upside down to make it look like it was right side up. But doing things like that make you feel like you're really on an alien planet where, you know, physics could be different, biologies could be different. So it's brilliant. And also in that scene, I think it's the first scene we ever saw with laser lights in a feature film. And what happened was they were filming at Pinewood and the Who, the band were making a music video at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) CSI. And uh, they were using these laser lights for the music video, and really, Scott, um, they he he asked if he could use them. So that's how they got this laser uh, for this shot right here. And the face hugger, what an interesting creature, as well as compared to the xenomorph. So basically, I is it the concept is is it's one parasite that's just transferring itself into a different being. So the face hugger is a parasitoid. And Ooh, what it did scientific <laughs> on us. Its only purpose is to make contact with a host's mouth for implantation process by gripping its legs around the victim's head and wrapping its tail around the neck. And then it inserts its embryo inside that being. And the, the main concept of the face hugger and just the kind of plot of this alien in the film is to critique is – to, is to show sexual assault on a man. On a man. Versus a woman, which is what we're most commonly seen in sexual assault against women is such a high violent crime statistic. And so they want to flip that on its head and show men getting raped and impregnated in a film by an alien. Which is wild. you never even heard of that before. It's, it's a crazy concept, but it works so well. And the face luggers, they're actually inspired by real animals. So there are certain wasps. And these wasps, they lay eggs within larvae, which are organisms that are alive. And so they lay an egg inside a larvae, and that egg... It literally bursts out of the larvae, killing the larvae, and then the baby wasp is born. Yeah. So that's where it was uh, inspired by. But this this concept is also so great because it avoids that horror cliche of woman always being depicted as the easy first target and and being attacked. And then we have Cain is the one who's attacked, and ironically, he's the first one to rise out of his sleeping chamber, and he's also the first one to die. <laughs> you, beat, you beat me to it. <laughs> you mentioned that, and I was like, I'm going to steal it from you, but you got it in first. I gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> and obviously, I think one of the greatest scenes ever, and it's easily one of the most horrific scenes ever, but the chestburster burster scene is so unbelievable. It's so well done. And it, it really, really sets the stage for what this film will ultimately be, because up to this point, it's all been suspense and mystery. And obviously, it's horrifying when Kane is in the medical bay with the face hugger on him. But still, like this scene is so well done. And we said it before and previously, Ridley Scott, the way he filmed the scene is only John Hurt, the actor who played Kane, knew what the actual practical effects of the face hug of the chest burster scene would look like and be like because they were practicing it with the crew. But the actors had no idea. They knew obviously something was gonna burst out of his chest. Uh, they didn't know what it would look like. They didn't know how bloody it would be. They didn't know exactly what would happen. They just knew, hey, stand here. That scene's going to happen and we'll get your reaction. So Ridley Scott wisely filmed the actors first with a couple of cameras to get genuine reactions from them. So when they the chestburster began exploding out of John Hurt's prosthetic chest and there was blood and literal, like actual animal organs and guts were spraying all over the room, the cast was freaking out. And their reactions were real because they had no idea that would happen. And also Sigourney Weaver was actually worried about John Hurt because the way he was acting and the way everything looked so real. She thought there was something wrong with the mechanical device that was being used to make the chest burst. So she was actually fearful of John Hurt's life. So the act- the crew was actually terrified by the scene. It's so It's amazing. It's iconic and still to this day... Every time I watch it, I'm just like, oh my God, I can't, yeah. I can't. And it, it's so fun waiting for it. And the way they filmed it practically was John Hurt was actually under the table and he stuck his head and arms out through these holes. And then the entire, ha- the, his entire body from the neck down, his torso. Is, is all the torso was all a prosthetic with the mechanical ch- uh, chest burster alien inside of it. You mean they didn't really put an alien inside of it? No, they did not. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, mean, I thought it was Method, too. No. Nah and before this we're building so much more tension with the face hugging so this thing is stuck around Kane's face and unfortunately Ripley is second in command so when uh when the lead the first in command's off the ship I can't remember his name she's in charge and so she doesn't want to let them onto the ship because that's procedure quarantine procedure you can't let anyone on that has a pra- obviously a parasitic host around his face <laughs> onto the ship you're going to jeopardize everybody but Ash this is when Ash starts to show some some true colors of like there's something by, uh, that he's he's got some other motivation motive, yeah. to want to keep this thing on the ship and it's nefarious for sure and he lets them onto the ship and then watching them operate or, or just try to study what's going on to kane while the facehuggers on its face is so interesting and then they try to cut it off of him, and what and then they realize or they learn that acid is in, in its veins it's blood is acid which is an amazing defense mechanism but also it they did that because it solved a plot loophole where why don't they just shoot the alien? This is before they had acid for blood. Why don't they just destroy the alien and shoot it up later on? Whereas when you have an alien with acid blood and you're on a spaceship, you can't just shoot it and kill it. You have to somehow get it out of the ship. Otherwise, you'll take the whole ship with you. Yeah, it became an amazing plot device for that the writer figured out, uh, O'Bannon figured out, for how to keep the, the movie propelled plot-wise. And the, the facehugger, when they're autopsying it and— ash is like looking through its organs they actually use like real food and like real oysters organs. and stuff yeah. yeah so they use the they they create the organs of the fate hugger by using fresh selfish <laughs> fresh shellfish uh four oysters and a sheep kidney and so like when he lifts an organ up that's an oyster that he's yeah. lifting up yeah but man that, i'm sure it, didn't it smell looks great good. i'm sure it didn't smell good on set because that's this is the 1979 those are some hut lights they're using they probably filmed that as quickly as possible i, I hope so yeah. but then you know the the facehugger disappears, and, and, and Kane wakes up. And then, obviously, Ripley finds it instead. And then this is leading up again to the John Hurt chestburster seen as building that tension. We know a bomb's going to go off at some point, but when's it going to go off? And then we see Ash. Ash is up to something. Ash knows something's going to happen. He's watching. He's yeah. waiting for it. So it's just a great back and forth between Ripley and Ash at this point, too. And then we'll learn that Ash is actually a robot. It's a goddamn robot! <laughs> and the robots in, these, in this franchise are so cool because... I love the internal or components of them because they're like part organic yeah. and part mechanical, and like they have like that white fluid and and they actually use spaghetti and caviar and milk for all like those weird looking internal parts of the of the robot. But Ash is such a great villain, and one of my favorite scenes is when uh, Ripley goes to Mother because she's in charge again uh, now that uh, the other, Dallas is dead. Yeah, because Dallas is dead. And one of my favorite moments of the movie is when she asks Mother what's happening and Mother explains that – and the, the best part is crew expendable. When she gets that text, it's like, holy shit, there are bigger things happening right now. And then Ash is standing right behind her. Great reveal. Yeah, because when the xenomorph, is just like this little tiny alien. It's like, ah! And Ash yeah. is like, don't don't touch it, don't touch it. And he lets it get away because Ash, Ash is curious and he knows his programming is, is telling him – Keep that thing alive and yeah. bring it back. And also, there's a, a confusing thing about from this moment to the alien's first appearance as a full adult. And a lot of people are like, "How did it grow so quickly? Yeah, in such a sh- like and become so large? Because it's we didn't see it eat anything. It's not like taking in any energy because you need energy to like grow. You know, you need like calories. But what happened is they actually had it written in the script where there's a sequence where the alien is going through the food stores of the crew and eating as much food as it can. And, at, and part of its evolution is it evolves very quickly and grows very quickly, so it needs to feed very quickly. And then it grows into an adult. But Ridley Scott, I think Ridley Scott realized, like, you don't need to see that we don't need to show it, and also I want to. Sh- I wanna the audience to see as little of the alien as possible. So watching it eat food and, and then grow would kind of take away the suspense of it. I mean, it would have been cool to see. It's ex- still kind of corny, though. Yeah, and explain it. But also, like, the first time you see the adult alien, it's so shocking. I think that he understood, like, in terms of the movie, like, they'll accept it. The audience will accept it. Yeah, the first several times I watched this movie, I didn't even care yeah. how quickly yeah. it grew. But, like, now when you watch it, like, a dozen times, you're like, how did it grow so fast? But yeah. it's also to think like interesting to think, like... Just because they left the food thing out, maybe maybe it's something to do with the air that it's breathing in. Maybe it's something to do with photosynthesis. Even yeah, though who knows ownership. how it absorbs energy. Yeah, so we don't we don't know how it's growing. But again, like you said, who the hell cares? Because yeah. when we finally see it, when it finally takes that guy out, it's, it's awesome because, again, really spending so much time just like toying with the audience, like messing with you, like terrifying you because you know it's out there. And then they're trying to look for it. And then when the engineer, not your repair your repairman, he goes into that room and it's like dark and, and dripping water. And it's obviously the perfect environment that the xenomorph <laughs> would want to hang out in. And then it takes him out because he's trying to find Jonesy because they're using the, the transmitter and they're picking up the cat. But, man, what a great kill and what a great scene. Yeah, I love that moment. And I, I believe they didn't explain it, but I believe that they already went through that area. That's why they let him go alone. Because I think they already cleared that area mm-hmm. because the alien was hiding. And that's why it's like, oh yeah, you can go alone to, to get the cat. But obviously they had no idea how big it was going to be. Yeah, it's insane. It's an unbelievable scene. And really Scott had to fight with the producers of the studio because... They, did, they didn't like how the scene had these hanging chains in that it, there was moisture dripping everywhere. But I think that he understood, like, I'm an artist. Like, it has to be atmospheric. It has to have this this look to it to add to the scene itself. Whereas the producers were just like, why do I do that? It's like, yo, just let him do what he wants. He's really Scott. Yeah, who cares? It, it, maybe it's something to do with some some thrusting and some moisture. Yeah. <laughs> Thrust Condensation. Yeah, you know? Exactly. There's, there's condensation on that ship somewhere. Yeah, there's, there's a cooling system. Yeah. It makes sense that there's, yeah. there's condensation. I don't mind it at all. Yeah, 100%. And then once people – once the crew starts getting killed, it's just – it's nonstop for the second half of this movie. And I, easily one of the most terrifying parts is when Dallas is going through the vents. And it's really cool how they have the apertures that – it's like basically like film apertures yeah. close out each area. But it's so terrifying because you have the tracker and that moment when they're like, it's right on top of you. It's right on top of you. And then he just panics and jumps down. And he goes, ah – That's the one shot. It's like a definitely a guy in a suit. (laughs) (laughs) He just bear hugs him. But it's scary. Imagine seeing that in a theater. But also what's interesting about the alien is he doesn't like there's no traces of blood. They just disappear. He just takes them away somewhere, which makes it even more terrifying. What's he doing with their bodies? That's what's so cool about aliens is because James Cameron explains that. He expands on the, the culture, you can say, of the aliens and how they how their communities build. And I love that aspect of aliens that they, but I think Ridley was like, no need to show that. Yeah. Just have them be gone and that's it. And then like we said, after Dallas dies, Ripley is in control and she speaks to Mother and she learns that the crew's expendable and the chief scientist officer who's Ash, his, his responsibilities is to ensure the survival and transportation of bringing the alien back to the company. And this is obviously when Ash attacks Ripley, and then they take Ash out. And It's such an interesting scene to to watch how powerful he is compared to the other humans. Then we they yeah. knock his head off, and then we see that he's an alien. Like you said, it's the components inside of him are so interesting. They're milky white and they're organic components. And then we have the scene where his his head's just talking to them, and Ash is just. It's not that he's evil. It's just his programming. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it's like kind of like Hal, where he has the malfunction. But maybe there obviously there's no fa- malfunction here. He's just following his programming from the company you have my sympathies <laughs> <laughs> that's the one shot in this in the movie where it's like that's definitely a fake head yeah but you know what? I think that they because really Scott could have cut away because what he does is he does a shot of the clearly the the prosthetic head and then he doesn't cut away he just adds on the same identical shot and then it's Ian Holmes head and I think that he did that because it made it feel like if he cut away then it would be too obvious that yeah. it was a change so he did that knowing that it didn't look perfect, but still, audience will accept it. Yeah, you know? and what I think the greatest strength of this movie might be is we've talked about the suspense building for about the first hour and 45 minutes of, of what Ridley did, but then he had to, adds a new suspense element where once that's over, he introduces a ticking clock where after it, after um the rest of the crew gets killed while they're trying to collect those coolants for the escape pod ship, they get killed, and then Ripley has to basically decides to self she's initiating the self destruct sequence of the ship and she has 10 minutes to escape before it shuts off then she changes her mind and tries to shut down the sequence but she's too late so then she has 5 minutes to leave the station yeah cuz the the alien was in her way so now we have a five minute countdown. She came so close. She was off by like two seconds. She almost got it. Five minute countdown ticking clock to get off the ship before the entire thing explodes. And she also has to save Jonesy. Yeah, but yeah, and I love, I love people like, why does she care about the cat? And like, we have the Funko Pop right here of, of Ripley with Jonesy right there. But you know, I think this is Ripley is a great character and she's also got the motherly instinct, you could say, and she wants to save another person. She actually has a daughter. Yeah. In in the in the story, but she's never mentioned. You, you she's mentioned in the second one, but she she has a maternal instinct that's very strong. Yeah, and what I love is she thinks she gets away, <laughs> she thinks she's in the pod by herself, and she puts Jonesy to sleep, and then she stumbles upon the alien that's taking a a, a nice nap in the. He has like a little bad dream. He's like ah, uh, <laughs> oh, don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> so this is interesting because did the alien consume food and that's why he's so sleepy, or is it because? He has such a fast evolution period from from adolescence to maturity that maybe it has a short lifespan. Maybe it's like toned down in its life and it's it's heading to death. No, because in the other alien movies, they, they have one captured in a cage. No, no, but I'm just yeah. thinking if you've never seen – if okay. they never made another yeah. alien's movie, if, like, you, I'm just thinking out loud. No, I, I doubt that. Yeah, it's, probably it's, not. It's, 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 not no, like, it's not a fly. It's, yeah, it's not a house fly. <laughs> it's a pretty advanced species. <laughs> I think it could – it just probably has uh, deep hibernation. Yeah, and like we said, it's – like Ash explains, it's the perfect organism. It's a survivor. Yeah. It's a killer. That's what it does. And it also, survives. And also it camouflages itself within yeah. the area. Yeah, and so, like, what kind of creature or organism could survive – on that planet, and as we learn, in aliens. There's no organic life really on that rock, besides that. You eventually, find out those aliens. Yeah, so it, they must be able to bio- biologically consume energy, because like I mean, every animal is, dis- is different in terms of what they can eat and what they turn into energy. I mean, you have like we don't eat hay. But horses turn hay into an immense immense amounts of energy to create those giant muscles that they have. Cows and grass. Yeah, exactly. So every animal is different. It could be photosynthesis because there are two suns on this planet, right? So it's like Superman? (laughs) I mean, why not? Or like a plant. Super alien. Or like a a flower. Yeah. But uh, one of the highlights of the movie is when Ridley does get it off the ship and... Uh, she she smokes it out, smoke it out. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's the song she's humming? She's humming. Uh, you are my sunshine, or no? no it's uh oh, what is it? She's singing like a like a children's song, I think. Yeah, or like one of those. It actually was very expensive, and the, the producers weren't happy that they did it. But she she actually came up with that idea to sing that song. Yeah, but, it, but it's terrifying because she has to turn her back to the alien. Yeah. to draw it to her. And it's so terrifying when she turns around and it's already got its tongue out. It's like, hey girl, <laughs> I'm awake. in <laughs> Cute suit. And then she blows out the airlock and then puts it in the thruster and just thrusts away and, and blows it out of space. And it's a, it's an amazing ending. What's really cool is that shot where it gets caught in the engine and then it just gets blown out of the engine duct. Really, Scott didn't, couldn't figure out how to do that for the longest time. And when, after he filmed the first kill with that room we mentioned earlier with the water dripping, in one of those shots, he looks up at the ceiling with the camera, and his, there's lights above, and the water's dripping down, and that gave him the idea, you know, it kind of looks like an engine with things pouring out of it, and so that final shot of the alien being burnt up in the engine and blown into space, it's actually... Just a, a duct they built with a light inside of it and water pouring out of it. So that's just water drops pouring out of it. Nolan did a very similar thing with Interstellar. Mm-hmm. And he did it with sparks, basically just like oh, falling yeah. down to make it look like it's just thrusting. Yeah, when he's going through the uh, black hole. Yeah, yeah, so I think that he probably got inspiration from that. Oh yeah, 100%. For sure. And um, yeah, this movie is... It's classic, and then she records her final log entry, and she puts her and Jones to sleep as they travel back to Earth. But she doesn't really know what's going to happen next. But we love Alien. If you guys, I'm sure you've all seen it, but man, watch it asap. This this movie's incredible. I love every minute of it. It's biting your nails the whole time. Yeah. Want to do some fun facts? Absolutely. Oh, you know what's so funny is our roommate walked in. She doesn't like horror movies, and we were watching it the other night. And she literally walked in the door when the alien is in the in the uh, tunnel and screams at yeah, him. Yeah, like that's the, <laughs> the first thing she saw was the alien going. Ah. She's like, no thanks, nope. In the whole movie, he's that hard, you he hardly see the xenomorph. <laughs> Worst timing ever. Unbelievable. All right, you want to do some superlatives, fun facts, and then? Oh yeah, let's yeah. do some fun facts. We're, we're saving superlatives for the very end. end. Got it, got it, got it. Well, we should do superlatives of alien and then superlatives of aliens. I guess we could do that. Yeah. All right, fine. Let's do superlatives. All right, superlatives. First. Who's your MVP? Um, Ridley Scott. Nice. I mean, come on, the guy made an amazing film and changed sci-fi cinema forever. I have Sigourney Weaver because she carries the movie. Best scene. Best scene. Hold on, hold on. I got a lot of. I got a lot of notes. You go first. The chest burster scene. Yeah, chest burster. I got that too. Definitely the best. Chest burster scene. What's your best shot? I just love the opening shots of the ships because it's so reminiscent of Star Wars, but just in a different way, and and they look different. But I, I just love seeing them coming crawling off the off the off the camera. Great score too. Yeah. Uh, my favorite shot is the first reveal of the alien when it stands up. It's so fucking scary. It's pretty epic. Best actor Sigourney. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. Best line: This thing bled acid. Who knows what it's gonna do when it's dead? <laughs> My best line is, uh, mother's text to Ripley, crew expendable. It's good. When that happens, you're like, oh, shit. That's good. All right, let's do some fun facts. For Alien, what you got? To get Jonesy the cat to react fearfully uh, in that scene when we first see the grown-up alien, a German shepherd was put in front of the cat, but it was covered by a panel, a screen, and then so that's why the cat first walks close to the camera and seems like it's like okay it, it seems safe and then they revo- re- they remove the screen to reveal the dog and that's why it like backs away and starts hissing because it's looking at a dog. The face hugger was planned to be painted green but Dan O'Bran- Dan O'Bannon, one of the writers, seeing the unpainted face hugger on set and noting how invented inventive its human flesh tone color looked. Argued it should remain as it is, and I think it definitely made it a better effect, not coloring it green. I said all my other trivia facts in the episode, yeah, so me you take, too. It, like, take it, it away. It's like, yeah, it's the yeah. Meryl Streep thing, and yeah, yeah, so the wasps and stuff, yeah. yeah. So, I think we did all our facts in the episode. Look, look at that, we tied it in right, like right, a well, bow. Let's let's head on into our intermission though before we head on to aliens, but now. Let's say you're stuck on Nostromo Interstellar Cruiser ship. You'd better hope to God that you packed your Manscaped Lawnmower <laughs> 4.0 for your personal grooming needs because otherwise it's going to be a long flight and things will get out of control. It's going to be a hairy flight. <laughs> it's waterproof. It has a built-in light, like 8,000 RPM. It's amazing, fellas. You need to get to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Lost for 20% off and free shipping worldwide. Uh, everyone listening, if you don't know what to get your man for like a gift or just like a I love your present, get on Manscaped. That's where 2 million men are trusting products right now. And the 4.0 package has a compilation of a bunch of their things. It's a big bundle. You get the wipes. You get the deodorizers. They have great briefs that are super comfortable. Shirts, like everything. Uh, the nose trimmer, which I, have the, I like. I have the briefs on right now. They're yeah. my favorite briefs that I have. They're super comfortable. And I have, I I have some other high brand stuff yeah. too. but and, man. The, and the 4.0 trimmer is amazing. It's, it's wild. Yeah. It's literally a Nostromo. Uh, rocket ship itself. So <laughs> head on over to manscaped.com. Use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for twenty percent off and free shipping worldwide, wide, 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 wide. <laughs> All right. Let's head on in to Aliens, which was released in nineteen eighty six, directed by James Cameron. Uh, he did the story. Oh, no, we got to do the intermission. Oh, yeah, the intermission. I forgot. Slow down, man. I'm sorry, slow, guys. Slow I'm, your so roll. I'm so excited. You know how much they love the intermission. Yeah, yeah. Let me back up. I got I got way too juiced about yeah. aliens. <laughs> sorry, guys. Let's let's take, take a second back and do our intermission. All right, so we have uh, a lot of things now we added, and we're going to start off with the movie quote competition. You go first. All right, this is from Matt Robbie. Matty Robbie. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, Bet your, but your kids are going to love it. Oh, that's, that's a good one. Oh. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. It's from Back to the Future yeah. is, uh, when he's playing um, Buddy Holly. Yeah, yeah, playing guitar. Yeah. Is he, it's not Buddy Holly. It's someone else, right? It could have been. It's Rockabilly of some kind. It's I not, think it might have been. It's not Buddy Holly. No. It's someone else. Guys, who was it? Comment. Or it could be Buddy Holly. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it might be. Go. No. All right. Your turn. <sighs> movie quote oh I messed up I didn't get a quote wow wow Anthony's Shoot. unprepared for the episode Shoot. I did I messed up well let's just move I got o- two I got two pop quiz questions instead let's just move on then did you have a quote or just that one um I can pull up another one from a fan yeah do that one give me one sec man I can't believe you're unprepared I got mixed up I did two I, I got two pop quiz questions though so they'll be fun I got no Wi-Fi. let's just move on alright all right, I'll ask you my first pop quiz question. What was Tom Cruise is what was Tom Cruise's first major acting role? What movie was it? Oh, what was the one with, with the with the crew? With like Patrick Swayze. Not that one. That oh, was right after this one. So that was after this one, one also had other famous actors in it too. Uh, I don't know. Taps. Oh there's the military school one yeah. Sean Penn and Timothy Hutton. Nice. And he uh, Tom Cruise played like the the wild guy. Gotcha. Again. All right. Um What are the sequels that James Cameron is famous for? Terminator 2 and Aliens. And Rainbow First Blood Part 2. He wrote it. (laughs) He's not famous for it. I didn't even know he did that. I knew he did it because you looked it up. No. Oh, you didn't look it up for this episode? Hey, at least I was prepared. (laughs) At least I have all my information that I need. All right, movie release here (laughs) Top Gun. Go. Top Gun? Let's see. That's got to be... I did a Tom Cruise intermission today. 1984. 86. Oh, man. That was a good one. Yeah. All right. What year did the film Thelma and Louise come out? Also directed by Ridley. 1988. Nope. Shit. 1991. Damn it. Close. Close. All right, I'm not close enough. Moving on to our biggest hater of the no, week movie. I got another pop quiz one. I Sorry. got another pop quiz? Yeah. All right. Who directed Top Gun? Uh, Tony Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Come on. I was just trying to throw rest, you off. Rest in peace, one. King. Yeah. Tony Scott was a great director. All right, who's our biggest hater? I thought you were. I had, got it. I man. got it, yeah. Man, you are so unprepared. You're all over the place. No, you usually do the biggest hater, so I got it. Okay, so you posted a clip on TikTok explaining the ending of The Prestige. A lot of people are confused by it. So yeah, if, yeah. if you guys are confused a lot of people, by it... A lot of people always ask about it. So you were just like, okay, I'll, I'll explain it for you all. And then on TikTok, fung-a-me, fung-a-me Fact, he said, dare you to do the movie Primer without watching YouTube videos on what the movie is really about. LOL. Watch it and let us know what it, what you think about it. He thinks I went on YouTube and watched a review? or yeah. like. A... So he's implying that you went on YouTube and watched videos to describe the prestige and then stole them. That's because he's a moron and probably <laughs> didn't figure it out himself. And yeah. he's like, oh, well, I guess he's right. But If man... I didn't figure it out, how could he have? Dude, it's so easy to understand. They, Chris Nolan, it's, it's in the script. He tells you what the movie's about. He it... tells you the situation. On top of that, you've seen it like 20 times. Yeah, and I've read the book. So sorry, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it right now. He literally lays out in the final five minutes of the film that Angier created copies and then Christian Bale's character Alfred Borden is Freddy and Al twins twins they're identical twins and the the note he left saying Tesla and he gave to Angier was just to throw him off it was was to throw him off and make him waste his fortune and time yeah Angier never built a machine for for Alfred because no, for Tesla. Te- Tesla. I mean, sorry, Tesla never built a machine for him because he was poor. How could he have afforded a twin. the machine? He's just to throw him up. Yeah. it's crazy that like people watch that movie multiple times. I'm sorry if you didn't get it, but I don't mean to say. It, but it's it's laid out perfectly by Chris Nolan. It's, it's blatant. And also, I've seen Primer multiple times. It's a really good movie. So don't act like I haven't seen movies before. Jeez, because some people are like, oh, I can't understand a movie my first time watching it. So neither <laughs> can they, bro. It's so easy to get. <laughs> what a D i you to get riled up from that one sorry i did get riled up <laughs> guy really ground grinded my gears you're curious i told you i had a good one yeah <laughs> man what a d-bag <laughs> <laughs> all right our biggest supporter of the week is harry roscoe harry who, roscoe one of our top supporters he's been a patron since october a top tier patron at that so thank you harry so much for your past and continued support appreciate it pal you're the best on this day in film history today is july 12th point break when mm-hmm. Harry Met Sally and Mission Impossible Fallout were all released on this date. Well, well, it makes sense because it's summertime. Yeah. Yeah, great movies always get released. Streaming recommendation I have Fight Club, which is on Amazon Prime. Even I've if never heard of that even one. If seen... <laughs> <laughs> even if you've never seen it, I mean, even if you've seen it a dozen times, watch it. It's just a classic. Yeah. <laughs> I have one called the, the Handmaiden, which is a Korean film by Park Chan wook It's really awesome. It's got an amazing twist. It's super dark, it's super sexual. It's just fantastic, and it will blow your hair back. Check it out. Blow it back. Blow it way back. All right. That's it, right? That's it. All right, let's head out of this intermission and go back to Aliens, which again, released in 1986, directed by James Cameron, who did the story alongside David Geiler and Walter Hill. And this movie is also ranked on IMDb's top rated films list at 74, won Best Sound, Best Visual Effects and 57 years after surviving an apocalyptic attack aboard her space vessel by a merciless space creature officer Ripley awakens from hypersleep and tries to warn every and tries to warn anyone who will listen about the predators on that planet you're getting pretty good at the synopsis i'm trying yeah I mean, you know yeah, i think I copy paste okay, there's an one. actor in you there's an actor in you i got some uh, so the reviews for this movie rotten tomatoes score the critics gave it 97% the audience gave it 94% INDb, it has 8.3, which is excellent. And then Metacritic is 84. And I also have some bogus uh, trash reviews from critics. Let's hear them. Let's hear them. So this is from Gene Siskel, who's actually a very famous reviewer from the Chicago Tribune. He said, count me out of the fan club for this one. What does even mean? Count me out of the fan club? Because yeah. it's a franchise, I guess? Yeah. And then Oct- Octavie Marti from Spain said, the moment the action is situated in Acheron, everything is simplified and loses its mystery. People just can't have fun, man. Yeah, he's not making the first one again. He's making his own one, and that's what's so great about this. Because James Cameron, it's a beloved property. Alien was very successful and very critically acclaimed, and it was at this point it was a loved movie. And James Cameron understood like I have to change it up. I have to do something different. But he kept the tone. He kept Sigourney Weaver's character Ripley, and obviously the alien. But he expanded on it in this movie. It's not just one alien. It's dozens, maybe even hundreds of aliens, and you get to see the nest. You get to see what they're, what they what how they live, what their culture is like, what the yeah, the biology, have, yeah, their of them. culture. They got like yeah. <laughs> books and, and music. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of culture. Well, they they built the temples, so they must have something. They they know they know stuff. They have their own communication of. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> they love the Beatles. <laughs> 74 million people tuned in so did we (laughs) (laughs) but it's just so amazing to see him expand on explaining how the aliens are formed how they the nest world they'll they capture humans and and put them in these nests ready for a phase hugger to jump out and grab them and it's just amazing what he did yeah and this is a straight up war movie this is like epic action straight up action war movie has all the staples. We have the classic like weaponry inventory scene. Everyone oh, yeah. getting geared up. We have cliche soldiers like they're super arrogant and and they're not very disciplined. They have like secret guns that their their uh, superior officers don't know about. They have that heart, com- yeah, camaraderie, yeah the, yeah, the camaraderie for sure. The hard ass leader that's smoking a cigar. They have the drop in scene, and then there's no escape once they're on the mission. It's epic. It's classic. I love the crew of of the Marines. You got Bill Paxton. You got Michael Bean. And the sergeant is actually – he was a real sergeant in the Marines, so that's why he's so convincing yeah. as the sergeant. I'm sure he was smoking stogies the whole time while he was a real sergeant. Yeah. And what I love about the opening of the film is the the ship shot of what they're on, it looks just like the guns that they use in the film. So I don't know if oh, James yeah. Cameron did that on purpose, but it looks just like what they're shooting with. That makes total sense. And I love – I like the first the first 20 minutes of the opening setup of – uh, Ripley, she's getting accustomed and acclimated to this new world because she's been asleep for seventy years, and plus the dream sequence. Yes, yeah, the dreams. Like James Cameron wasted no time scaring the hell out of you with yeah. that dream sequence of her imagine dreaming that she had a chestburster burster in her. But I, I like how they they just change little things to show the the futuristic qualities of the the culture now with humanity like everyone's still wearing suits but they have like their collars popped up (laughs) (laughs) little things like that is super funny and so what she's learned is that a colony has been created on lv426 which is what the planet's called now and they believe that there's no indigenous life forms there but ripley's trying to warn them of these alien creatures on there that wiped out everyone in her in her crew but there has been they're trying to the company's trying to be like there have been people there for two decades, and no one's ever found any indigenous life forms or organic beings. And there's been no incidents. No one believes Ripley except for Burke, who obviously turns out to be not that very trustworthy. But because he trusts her and believes her, she he starts to build trust with her, which he uses to convince her to come back to, with them on the mission to figure out what's happening there. Because he knows what he's getting himself into, even though he's keeping it secret from everyone else. And he knows that since she dealt with the aliens in the past— She'll be beneficial to their to their mission, having an understanding and helping. I think he's he wants her on to help keep himself alive, and also she's dealing with like the bureaucratic situation where she blew up a very expensive ship, and the company is not happy with her. She's been demoted. She lost her her officer status, so she's basically like working those rigs and like the cargo holds. That's how she knows how to use those the the and, yeah the machine what's thing. It I can't remember yeah. the, the robotic, robotic thing. thing. Yeah, um, so Ripley, I, I wouldn't say that. She joins this mission out of naivety. It's more out of desperation for her wanting to have a future in her life because she's never going to be able to climb the ranks again because she has the stigma against her now. There's also a deleted scene in which Ripley has a daughter. She had a daughter, but the daughter is in old age now, just like in Interstellar. And she, I believe, the daughter dies, and so that's why Ripley builds forms such a strong connection with Newt in this film, the little girl, because. Uh, she never really got to raise her daughter because the daughter was young when she went on the first mission on the Nostromo. And so that's why that's why Ripley throughout this film is doing whatever it takes to save the girl time and time again because she lost her daughter, never had her daughter, never saw her grow up. And so uh, Newt takes on that role for her. And Ripley, she believes and trusts Burke when Burke tells her that they're going there to destroy the aliens. And she, she's taking that his word for it because he seems trustworthy at this point he's he's helping her out he's getting her out of this tough situation she's in but also we have this concept of the company that's more prevalent than the first film which is maybe i think james cameron's making a comparison to capitalism and and how terrible it is in terms of the expendability of their workers and they'll do anything basically to make money and i love the uh, little facetime chat they have yeah <laughs> he just she... wakes up naked <laughs> yeah future technology <laughs> pretty funny <laughs> And so she joins the crew to go to LV-426 on this mission to figure out why they haven't been hearing any signals or responses from the colony. I, I adore this movie, and this is when the movie really kicks into high gear because when the Marines enter the facility and everything is torn up and it looks like there was a freaking bloodbath, like a war zone, if it's, it reminds me, it feels like you're walking through a video game level in like some kind of scary video game. And everything is just destroyed, and you're like, what the hell happened here? I think that that moment is when the movie really begins taking off and turns into a whole beast. Yeah, because we're having a lot of fun. You know, it's the classic war stuff where we're, we're with the soldiers, and they're getting geared up, and they all have their own unique personalities. You know, we have Hicks. We have... Vasquez, who's pretty important. And then we, we learn of Bishop, who is the synthetic on board that Ripley doesn't know about at first. And so we have all these classic war characters that we're learning about and kind of starting to enjoy and like. I love the knife thing with Bill Paxton. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. He's like, ah! They actually, for the knife thing with the hand, Bill Paxton didn't know that that was going to happen. They actually just had the actor who plays... Lance Henriksen. Yeah, they, he just took his hand and readily thought it would be a good idea to do that, and so they shot it without Bill Paxton knowing what was about to happen... And then it would have been great, but they actually had to reshoot it the next day. So the reaction isn't completely genuine because now he's prepared for it. But the first time, if they would have nailed it, that would have been super interesting. Yeah. Well, the first time they did it, they planned to just do it slowly and then speed up the footage, but it looked too fake. And so on the second day when they filmed it, Lance Henriksen really went that fast and they didn't speed up the footage. So that was like legit and it was a real knife. And he even clipped um, Bill Paxton's pinky at the end. Yeah, that must have... I'm sure Bill Paxton great was shot. all for that. Bill Paxton was a wild man. What's great is uh, James Cameron often uses actors again. Uh, Bill Paxton, if you remember, he's in the uh, beginning of Terminator uh, when Arnold wakes uh, is transported uh, at the Getty. Uh, no, it's, it's the um, the observatory. Yeah, and then Bill Paxton plays one of those punk guys with the mohawk. He's and, the one with like the yeah the, the tire mark on, yeah, his, on his face. Yeah, on his face. Yeah, like that tattoo. That's Bill Paxton. That's that's his first movie role. And they've had a they had a long standing relationship. Bill Paxton actually uh, passed away a few years ago, um, but he he was great in True Lies. He plays that that fake spy who's trying to sleep with Arnold's uh, wife. That's right. Yeah, yeah, he's super funny. Same thing with Michael Biehn. He's yeah. in a bunch of Ridley Scott's movies. And Michael Biehn he was in, he's Kyle Reese in the Terminator, and yeah. then he was in Aliens, and he was also in the Abyss. So it's like, what happened to that guy? And you know, he you could say he was kind of an '80s star, but like not even close to guys like Schwarzenegger and Stallone yeah. and like there were some mega stars at the time. People wouldn't couldn't name him off the top of their head. You know yeah. the thing with him, there's an interview I read where he was actually casting this last minute because James Remar, the actor, he played Dexter's um dad. Okay, in, yeah. Um, in the TV show. Yeah, in the T V show. He was actually casting this but he had a serious drug problem and he got caught on set with drugs, so they kicked him off. They did this like it was like the third day of filming and they kicked him off set and you're fired. And then James Cameron, because he worked with him on Terminator, called up Michael Bean, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to come and do this movie with me? I need someone to play this role." Because, and Michael Bean said yes, and he and he said this in this interview where he says he thinks that he has this look to him where he looks just dangerous and he doesn't and he looks threatening mm-hmm. just normally his face. And he thinks like that's the reason why he never really got cast in like playing hero roles too often, even though he wanted to, because he thinks that the way he looks seemed to not hero enough. There's like something crazy inside of his eyes. Like yeah. There's something in there deep down inside. But yeah. But you, like you're right. He doesn't have like the like the statue look of like Stallone or Schwarzenegger. You could say he doesn't have charm. You could say. Maybe, yeah. yeah. But I think he's a good guy. But he's a great character. Great, 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 great actor. Hicks is a great character because he's like the ultimate soldier. He's hardworking. He's... Brave, he he doesn't crumble under pressure. He actually thrives under pressure. He eventually becomes a leader. He he becomes he goes from being a grunt to a leader once people start getting taken out. He's also very humble. Now the the biggest thing about this movie during the production was it was very complicated production and it went through trials and tribulations because so they filmed this movie at Pinewood Studios and Pinewood is the biggest uh, lot in England. It's where Harry Potter's were filmed. It's where the James Bond movies are always filmed, and it's this gigant, these gigantic lot spaces where they build sets inside. It's where Raiders of the Lost Podcast is filmed. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> right in Pinewood. And so the thing with Pinewood Studios is they have a crew that works for Pinewood in any movie that shoots there. They inherit that crew, and that crew works on the movie for the filmmakers, whereas usually uh, a, a film will hire crew, and they'll travel location to location, but Pinewood's different. And so... The crew on Pinewood, they worked on Alien, and they were very loyal to Ridley Scott, and they were proud of that movie, rightfully so. And so when they found out that a sequel was being made by someone they had never heard of, James Cameron, because Terminator had not come out in the UK yet. So no one had seen Terminator. Nobody knew who James Cameron was. So the crew hated James Cameron. They didn't want to follow his orders. They were always giving him a hard time. And they were like, what are you even doing here? Like, Why, why is this nobody filmmaker making a sequel to one of the best movies ever made? And it got to the point where there was a strike by the crew or they didn't want to work. And then James Cameron was fighting with the the cinematographer daily and got to the point where he fired the cinematographer because the cinematographer wouldn't take his direction, wouldn't do what he wanted him to do, was like lighting scenes his own way. And it had this huge falling out. And eventually James Cameron and the crew had to have this like meeting where they all like got everything out and talked it out. And eventually they did start getting getting along. But – it was all because like, they were getting paid, so they didn't, they didn't really enjoy working with James Cameron. And on the last day of filmmaking, James Cameron said, You know what? Uh, you guys made my life hell during this movie, but at least I get to leave Pinewood. And I know that in 10 years, you'll still be, you'll still be at Pinewood being a crew member. Absolutely. Yeah, and and so, they'll never work on any of his movies, which I'm yeah. sure they regret every day of, of making his, hell, his life even worse for yeah, production. Exactly. And it's amazing. James Cameron's career, he's always been doubted time and time again. Like, no one thought Terminator would work. No one thought Aliens would work. No one thought Titanic would work. Nobody thought Avatar would work. And yet he's still— And Piranha 2. Yeah, no, pir- <laughs> <one> thought- <laughs> no one thought Piranha 2, the spawning, would work. I was just getting to that one. <laughs> but Cameron is always underrated, and he's always told you're not going to be able to find success with this. And yet time and time again, he delivers and hits home runs. His movies are always so successful and always loved by everyone. He always proves them wrong. You could argue that if Ridley made a sequel to this, maybe it might not have been as good as Aliens. Maybe it would have been close to Alien, but not even on the same par. Because what's the biggest strength of the film is how different it is from Alien. Yeah, the the action is what makes this movie. It's the one of the best action movies. Because you obviously can't do the same thing you did in the first movie. You can't. You can slow build tension, but you can't like do the chest burster scene again. You can't do the sa- the same routine the same way that Ridley did it. Because when we have the they're seen in Aliens, we're expecting it. We know it's going to happen, which which I think James Cameron just plays with. He's like, they are no, they know it's coming. Let's not make a huge big deal out of it. We'll just show it and it'll happen. And then they kill the alien when it comes out and burn it burnt it crisp. But I think he, he understood that when he was making the movie. And you can say Ridley Scott's sequels, they haven't really stood up to the first ones he's made. I mean, just look at Alien Covenant compared to Prometheus. Yeah kind of a mess of a movie compared to Prometheus. That's what I mean. So yeah. maybe this is wa- this is the only way they could have made a great sequel is to have someone like James Cameron shake the entire thing up. Yeah, and James Cameron, he knows how to build suspense so well, just like Ridley, but it's in a different way. I think he 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 paces his movies much faster compared to ridley and that is a is a strength in a lot of ways in terms of like when the when the marines are going through that nest for the first time and you don't you can barely see anything and just the same as the movie um everything looks like there could be an alien hiding anywhere in the background and and the set design of this movie is fantastic where it's the aliens form this kind of like like uh resin kind of nest made out of resin that they must excrement in some form excrete excrete this is their it's culture amazing. this is the alien's culture yeah. excrement all over the place yeah, resin everywhere <laughs> but that sequence is, is amazing because they use the trackers in this movie in such a stressful way because the trackers are first you get that beep It's so amazing. And then at that scene, they're surrounded by the dots at one point. And you're like, oh, my God, how many aliens are there? Because at first you think maybe there are a a few aliens, but then you realize they're everywhere. They're all over the place. Yeah, but the the one thing with James Cameron is his movies tend to have plot holes in them and some things that don't make sense. Or like it's like, oh, come on. Like I think one of the first ones for me is when they're going through that nest the first time. And they're told that they can't fire their weapons anymore because uh, Ripley and Burke realize that they're going to create like a nuclear explosion if they they shoot anything because it's basically a nuclear reactor and so they have to give up all their clips and ammo but then they all have like backup shotguns and extra clips yeah, it's and like the, and they fire like a thousand bullets and nothing happens yeah in so that like scene. that well I mean but it eventually leads to the ship is gonna explode because of all the fire and yeah. all the gunfire yeah. with the four-hour ticking clock but it's, it's still things like that when you with this movie it's it's not like that an alien yeah exactly but also it's a great way to set up the scene where the stakes are high and you have these—the characters are put out of their comfort zone. It's a strength of writing where, okay, you have these soldiers, but they only have a limited amount of magazines, or uh, some of them did not have magazines, and they had use just flamethrowers. Yeah. No. But also, it's a great opportunity to, sh- to build your character, especially with Ripley in this scene when they're starting to get attacked. And what's the lieutenant's name? The guy who's just a mess, and he, he messes everything oh, the, up. Oh, the rookie lieutenant. I can't remember. Gorman. Lieutenant yeah. Gorman. He's just a horrible leader, and he's getting all of his— his uh, soldiers killed Ripley's the one that's like I gotta get in there and She takes the car and she saves whoever's left that survived and gets them out of there So it's just showing better character development for Ripley And I love the scene is so great because of how quickly the aliens begin killing these marines And these marines they seem like they've seen everything And especially Bill Paxton says um, he's like, is it going to be a bug hunt? So he, uh, clearly they've seen they've experienced fighting aliens before, because I think what he's implying by saying a bug hunt means they've been on other planets and had to exterminate other creatures like monstrous creatures before. And it's clear they, they've survived those battles. But these aliens, they can't stand up to them at all. And th- within a minute, half the crew's wiped out. Yeah, but they are very over-arrogant soldiers for sure, which is definitely a weakness for sure. But before we continue talking about aliens, Anthony has to tell you about something cool from our sponsor, movieposters.com. Use our promo code RAIDERS15 to get 15% off your order today. There's no better place to get your posters online than movieposters.com. If you're a fan of movies, if you're a fan of TV shows, there's no better way to express that love than by decking your place out with a ton of posters. If you're looking at our set online, we hope you're watching on YouTube. It's the better experience. You'll see that our walls are just decked out with these posters. We have everything from Kill Bill to James Bond. Jimmy has an alien poster. These are some of our favorite movies and Movie Posters has been a great sponsor. They send these posters to us for free and we can attest to the quality. These are the best you can get for your money. Use our promo code Raiders15 at MoviePosters.com to get 15% off your order today. Let's get back into aliens. And so Ripley saves everybody who's left and brings them back to their ship. And – Newt as well, and Newt. Oh yeah, so we Newt's have been Newt, there. They they save yeah. Newt, who's the little girl who's, on. who was yeah. part of the colony. She's the only survivor from the colony, so she's very similar to Ripley. She's the last lone survivor, mm. and uh, you know she's telling them they mostly come out at night, mostly. mostly. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're back on the ship trying to figure out what to do, and they realize that they have to stay for 17 days in order for someone for a, a distress beacon to be able sent out for a rescue team. So they have to somehow survive 17 days with these giant alien creatures around them. That's uh, not gonna work. It's out. not a good situation yeah. at all. Not to mention you have Burke doing some crazy things where he traps Ripley and Newt inside of that sleeping chamber oh after God. he breaks the glass to let one of the facehuggers out of its little case. That's such an amazing scene. It's so terrifying because the facehuggers, yeah, we saw them jump out of the egg, but with this scene, they can go all over the place. They, they are very, very fast. They can climb anything and... Uh, they seem to ha- be good at—adept uh, at camouflaging themselves and in- and hiding from their predators, from their prey. Yeah. Fortunately, they get saved by by Hicks and uh, Bill Paxton. Yeah, but when the facehugger's, like, got Ripley and she's, like, blocking you with her arm— It's wild. Oh, my God. It's wild. So then we learn that Burke— is very similar to Ash. He's got the company's interests at heart. He really just wants to try to make as much money as possible. He thinks that they can all make a ton of money off of it. He's like, yeah. why shouldn't we do this? And Ripley realizes what he's doing. And you can tell that the colonizers also thought the same thing. That's why they had the facehuggers in a lab. So they were experimenting with them, observing them, and probably saying like the same kinds of things as Ash. Yeah, and this is also where we learn that Burke is the one that had the colonizers go explore that ship which you can say like why hadn't they gone to check out that alien spacecraft that was down for 20 something years well maybe they hadn't seen it yet on the gps i mean there's a signal that's coming out remember there's a beacon from the first one so i'm sure yeah. that was still give, giving giving up but you know another james cameron plot hole, little thing don't worry, it's not not don't a big not a big deal you don't can complain about it but, about but we it. learned that burke is really the one that set the motion to have the colonists and the colonizers go explore that which caused them all to get killed yeah and one of the one of the best sequences has got to be after this is when um the aliens start coming closer and closer to to their barracks and it, the, they're welding the doors yeah, they're welding the doors and, and then they have the meters And they're showing up And it's like They're all in that last room Yet the aliens Keep getting closer and closer And then when Michael Bean Goes up into the Into the ceiling And he lifts up One of the One of the ceiling ducts And he sees like 20 aliens just crawling towards him It's like oh my god One of the most terrifying shots I've ever seen in my life Yeah not only that not only are they surrounded By all these aliens trying to kill them they also now Have a four hour ticking clock the entire Station's got the colony is Gonna blow because they Remember with all the firepower they they, they Set something off and so they have four hours Before the entire station explodes it's an Unbelievable sequence and uh, One of my favorite shots of all time And it's right after this it's when It's after they get away most of the other ones are. Most of the other crew were killed in the air ducts after, like Vasquez sets off the grenade and stuff. Also, a great death. But when Newt um, falls down the ducts and she falls into that area where the water is, yeah. And then Ripley and, and Michael Bean are, are looking for her and they find her through the. They can see her through the floor and then he starts welding the floor, and then Newt's just standing there quietly in the water, and then just right before they he finishes welding, right before he gets it done. James Cameron does this amazing shot where it's on Newt, and then behind her, the alien just, like, stands up from underneath the water, and it's gigantic, and its tail is, like, wagging, and it's like... What an unbelievable moment. It's probably my favorite moment of the entire movie. I swear to God, I had recurring nightmares (laughs) of that shot for, like, my entire adolescence. I swear. (laughs) I believe it. I remember being terrified of it. It still scares the hell out of me, that scene. Our brothers let us watch these movies when we were kids. That's what we mean. We should not have been watching these movies when we were, like, four or five years old. But it's so terrifying. Because any time a kid's in danger, yeah. But before this, like, it was always adults in danger of the alien. But it's different when it's a little girl in danger from one of these aliens, it's just a different kind of fear. Yeah, and then the movie—it's basically Ripley and Newt trying to escape, and then trying to. He try, she tries to he has to save her from the Queen. We are introduced to the Queen alien, oh the Queen xenomorph. Well, before that, it's like the whole standup when, when Ripley gears herself up. Yeah, it's pretty epic. It's insane, but also the elevator scene when they're in the elevator and the alien shows up, and that's how how he gets the ass on his arm. What a freaking moment. Oh, my God. So yeah, terrifying. a ton of great action. But then we, we see the queen xenomorph. This thing is freaking huge. And then it's just trying to come after Ripley, too. It's wild. Yeah, it's, it's pissed. But that sequence right before that, when Ripley is moving through the ship, and again, it harkens back to the first one. The alarms are going off. But it's different because the aliens have taken over this area. It's like the resin is everywhere you know the nest the material- excrement is everywhere excrement and <laughs> resin is everywhere <laughs> but it's terrifying and like i said earlier that shot where she gets off the elevator and the doors open up and she's like let's go motherfuckers it's so amazing <laughs> but it, her walking through the compound is some of the most terrifying filmmaking i've ever seen because you're just waiting for an alien to show up it's really good yeah and then uh it's her versus the the queen and we have it's the loader that's what it's called so the loader she straps into the loader the loader and then she takes on the queen and it's it's such an iconic scene and we have that great line and she's like get away from her you bitch oh yeah it's a great smackdown it, it's it, it's like a precursor to avatar with those suits they have she actually did a direct tv uh commercial Oh, yeah. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, like, she's like, get away from my. Oh, wait, I have to tell you about DirecTV. Oh, yeah. I forgot it's, it's about It's super that. cheesy, but also fun at the same time. No, but that was a great campaign. They did that with a few different movies. Yeah, they did a great job replicating the scene and the yeah. wardrobe and everything. Yeah, and the they got the money. They, yeah. But Fox probably still had all this stuff. It's pretty It's it's pretty funny. It's yeah. cheesy, but funny. No, I, that, that was a great series of commercials from that campaign. I wonder campaign. if that was a Super Bowl commercial, too. It might have been. Yeah, th- that mean, was when DirecTV was getting big. Yeah. But not even. The- <laughs> <laughs> way before anyone thought streaming would ever exist. before streaming. Who had TV? Huh? I remember when people had DirecTV. I'm like, you have Direct DirecTV? Is really? it, we had a satellite dish on, yeah, your, on your roof, so, right? Yeah, it was always like that gray satellite that people had on their roof. Box. Oh, I got 1,200 channels. Nothing to watch. Yeah, <laughs> look at all these international channels. I don't know what they're saying, but at least I got them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like today we have all we have everything we ever wanted. We want we have every channel we can subscribe just to that, and we it's still not enough. We still don't know what to watch, and we still think we pay too much. Yeah, <laughs> even though it's like thirty dollars for everything now, if you find like Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu and, and, and HBO Max like you have everything i have i have to pay seven dollars a month to have access to everything disney's ever made uh bullshit (laughs) cable used to be like 150 for a decent package it got real expensive yeah that's why people rejected it it was like it was pretty pricey especially if you wanted the movie state channels too but it all started with napster napster once napster gave us free music then we wanted free everything it's true so that's napster changed it wasn't just music you could probably say it was all media And remember LimeWire? Oh, yeah. You could rip movies from LimeWire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, You can rip rip anything from there. Absolutely. The download speeds were... Very Atrocious no, If it was like a six hour download He'd be like Oh that's fast <laughs> I'll go to school And come back It'll be, it'll be done download. It'll be It'll be 120 pixels And it'll look great It was like 10 minutes To download one song At it's least forever. No it's yeah. probably longer Sometimes It depended on how And yeah. then you would get The bad version of a song oh And it's God. like I gotta redo it I wasted it. my time we got to find another one Your kids so lucky You have no idea And then you you'd get your, A virus in your computer And yeah, your mom would be like What happened to the computer I don't know You've been on any bad sites today <laughs> Come on James You've been on any bad sites <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> back to Alien. It's a great ending, and then we have Bishop saves. Bishop sa- gets messed up, though. Yeah, he, saved he gets stabbed and then ripped apart, torn in half, <laughs> <laughs> thrown apart like a rag doll. My God. Yeah. But he guy. does save them, which is great. It's like the same thing in Prometheus when um Fastbender gets his head ripped Michael? Off. Yeah, Michael gets his re- head ripped off, and then him and Numi replace. Or is it David? David? David, David, sorry. They take off, and it's just his head. I think that David is the best synthetic android of them all. I think I think David is the best character in the whole of those movies. He's, he's so fascinating, especially when you see the the concept of him having his own personality and starting to kind of have human uh, existence. He takes thoughts. on the traits of Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, probably. Yeah, similar. And then no, no, because he watches. He's obsessed with that movie. And He's dying his Dyes hair. his hair, yeah. and he does the match thing. And it's similar to Ash because Ash prefers. I mean Bishop because Bishop is definitely more advanced than Ash was an alien, and. Bishop, you know, assures Ripley, Ripley that he can cause no harm to a human being. But he also, instead of being called synthetic, prefers the term artificial person himself. So it's interesting that he has these existential thoughts. Yeah, he does. He feels offended by that term. Yeah. Very interesting. But I, I freaking adore this movie. I think, it, like I said, it's one of the best action movies ever. It, you could say in terms of like the genre action sci-fi, it's the king, you know. There's nothing that comes even close to it. It's pretty, yeah, it's epic. Yeah. Want to do some uh, Suprella Lives, then fun facts? Let's do it, bro. All right, Suprella Lives, what do you got for MVP? I got Sigourney again. I got James Cameron. She was nominated for an uh, Oscar for, for, for this. For an what? as a, what? She was nominated for an Oscar for this. Was she really? She's yeah. awesome. Best, Best movie. leading actress. <laughs> she's great in it. I think she's the only, besides, well, that's not action for Arrival. But for an action movie, I think she's the only person nominated for, for an Oscar. Maybe. In an action movie. Maybe. Best scene. Uh Ripley versus the Queen. Nice. Yeah, I got the sequence when Ripley saves Newt. Yeah. Best shot. The opening ships again, I just love it. Man, you love these opening I ships. I think they're so fascinating. They're so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one that pointed out that the ship looks just like a gun. I thought that was a really interesting thing. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Astute. I have the one I spoke about earlier where the alien stands up behind Newt in the water. Nice. Great shot. Nice. Best actor, Sigourney. Sigourney. Best line. Get Get away away from from her, her, you bitch! (laughs) (laughs) That's an easy one. Yeah. All right, here's some fun facts. Okay, so yeah, Sigourney Weaver's Best Actress Academy Award nomination up to this point was the first ever for an actress in a role in an action movie. And I can't think of anything, anyone else that's been nominated since? Yeah, in an action movie. I have to think about it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, according to Bill Paxton, he improvised many of his lines, including, Game over, man! Game over! <laughs> his famous line, We're on an express elevator to hell, going down, was probably improvised as well as it does not appear in the shooting script. He's still great in this movie. He's awesome. He's, he's got a great story, too, because he was just a PA working on sets, and he had the opportunity to be in a scene. He's like, alright, I'll be in the scene. And yeah. he was like a teenager. Then he led Twister, man. <laughs> That's a good dude. Twister's awesome. Bill Paxton was is a very underrated actor. Definitely. So, the actress who played Vasquez is named Jeanette Goldstein, and she's actually not even Hispanic at all. No, she's partially. She's, like, partially Brazilian. Oh, okay. Well, but still, she was—makeup was used to make her skin appear darker. Yeah, so— And she also dyed her hair black and wore dark brown contact lenses to look more of the part. So, yeah, she didn't have a very Hispanic look to her, but she—part of her—yeah, she part of her yeah she I mean, she's got a Jewish last name. Yeah. It was a Jewish full name. I mean, I could— Jeanette Goldstein. You can have a Jewish last name and look like anything. I know, but I'm just saying— Yeah. She seems like she sounds like she's mostly Jewish. Yeah, she is mostly not Hispanic. Mostly, she's mostly <laughs> mostly not Hispanic. Playing it. yeah, but it is pretty. You know, it was, they did a lot of things in the '80s and '90s, yeah. man. Not very cool. That's it for my trivia. Alien was never shown to test audiences because editing and scoring was not completed until the week before its theatrical release. So that's pretty wild. You're on that type of a deadline. Only a studio screening was performed for 20th Century Fox executives, which was enthusiastically received. Marketing experts experts later said that Aliens probably helped save Fox, which was in desperate need of a hit at the time. Yeah, they were dying. That makes sense. That's actually great because. A test audience, if they got bad reviews by audiences, they probably would have changed stuff. So it's best that that didn't happen. The movie's budget for production design was almost running out when it was time for constructing the set of the hypersleep chamber aboard the Sulaco. That's the uh, the ship in this one. Each chamber cost over $4,300 to build, meaning they could only afford to make four capsules. Production designer Peter Lamont had the difficult task of telling director James Cameron that they had to omit the entire scene, but he devised a trick. A clever placement of mirrors and camera angles made it look like there were 12 chambers instead of four, allowing the scene to be filmed. Very smart, James. Very smart. Super smart. All right. I think that's all I got, too. Yeah, that's it. That's our episode on Alien and Aliens. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to go to com. Check out all of our content. Become a patron today at Patreon.com slash Podcast. Leave those five-star reviews. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Take care.